Welcome to another episode of the News for Jags podcast. I'm here with Justin Barney. Uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting week for the Jaguars. Interesting uh, couple weeks. Yeah, interesting, interesting couple, couple of weeks. weeks. Uh, definitely not a dull moment. Um, you know, uh, at this point, we're moving on to the Titans a little bit. Uh, we talked to some of the players today after practice, and Jahat Ward uh, basically had the soundbite of the week, basically saying, we're not worried about this. We are uh, 100% focused on football and, and moving forward. I, I know a lot of fans are happy to hear that, that the, the players are are not focused on some of the off-the-field distractions that are going on, and there have been... Uh, a lot of talk about that this week. But, you know, that doesn't affect what's going to happen on the football field. One way or another, game day is Sunday, and the Titans don't care about everything else that's going on. Are you – I mean, if you're a player in that locker room, the week has transpired like it has, are you upset about the Urban Meyer news? If you're in that same position, does that bother you? You know, I don't think a lot of them are that worried about the video. Now, where it may come into play later – is when Urban tries to discipline some of the guys down the road for some little infraction, you know, drinking uh, maybe a DUI or doing something that's inappropriate. If one of the players ends up in a similar sort of situation when the coach has to step in and discipline a guy and you go, okay, well, you got in trouble for it earlier this year. It's one of those kind of things. Like, how will this affect his ability to kind of discipline those guys and hold players in that locker room accountable for some of those smaller infractions that, while are not, you know, groundbreaking things, but can be detrimental to the success of your football team? Yeah, and, you know, college, you know, I was thinking about this when Trevor spoke on uh, on Wednesday college players go through distractions too yeah you know there there are teams it's about um, navigating those distractions and the minefield and of uh, of the world today social media arrests DUIs I mean there's so many little things that can go on uh, inside of a team that I'm just curious from a from a player's perspective how much this truly was a distraction for them how much could they get frustrated about it. I know it took away from uh, the attention of the team on Monday during meetings and, and whatnot, but how much are those veterans really affected by Urban out, you know, at a club and, and that? I mean, maybe with them being asked questions repeatedly about it or to elaborate on it, I'm not talking about the, the Titans coming up. I'm just curious, how, how much is a player, a veteran player, Jihad Ward, Shaq Griffin, how much of those guys truly affected by something that a coach did? Probably not that much, honestly. I mean, I, I think some of the guys in the locker room have made a joke out of it, um, and are, you know, it's going to be one of those kind of running gags probably for the rest of the season. But I don't think it really distracted them. The, the biggest impact it has is that it's something that they had to talk about on Monday, and they had to talk about it again on Wednesday. And I mean, I think the Jaguars should have gotten out in front of this a little bit and nipped it in the bud a, a little bit better than it is, but but I think I said this on the podcast we recorded earlier this week that if this is a team that's two and two right now, this video this does is, not get yeah, out of hand exactly. the way it is. Uh, the guys in the locker room, this isn't that big of a distraction. I think the only play way this comes into play later on is, I don't know, let's say a guy they go on a road trip to Seattle, and one of the guys on Saturday night decides, you know what, I'm going to go out drinking. And he comes back and he's ready to go. Like, Urban's not going to be happy about that situation even if the guy is, you know, ready to play, he's going to say, well, you should have been in your room last night. Well, you were doing, you know, what about when you did this earlier this year and you didn't even fly back on the team plane, blase, blase, blase. Like, when that situation comes about, 
how will they handle that moment? I mean, how did how much lost respect is there for Urban when it comes to because part of being a head coach is having to be there for the good and the bad and being able to discipline players and hold them accountable for their actions. Who's holding Urban accountable right now? I mean, his when they he didn't fly back on the team flight. It doesn't sound like he told the players ahead of time, like, hey, I'm not going to fly back with the team. He said he addressed it with Bulky, which, technically speaking, Bulky's the only guy who he really needed to address it with. But, I mean, does Trent feel like he could tell Urban no? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, you know, so, he... like, that's really just writing your own ticket. Like, I'm just not going to fly back with the team. So, I mean, I think that could that's where this could have a lasting effect of it. Is there any lost respect from a couple of those guys in the locker room for – when Urban tries to hold them accountable. Because, I mean, head coaches in the NFL are already in, like, a a very strange position when it's trying to hold some of those guys accountable because the players understand in today's athlete that really they control the team. They control the action here. So when coaches are trying to discipline them, they already have to kind of walk a thin line. So now how much thinner did Urban's leash get or that line that Urban has to walk when he's like, hey, you can't do that. I mean, that's not good for our team. How much thinner did that moment get? I think that's where if something happens with a key player down the road, it could be a, a real issue. Yeah, and, um, you know, I I just wonder, you know, could Meyer have handled that situation? Would you have flown back with the team? I think— I mean, is it, you know, Urban, in hindsight, is he almost uh, regretting that as well, too? Couldn't you have hopped a plane back— I to think, Columbus after that? I think in hindsight, he regrets all of the decisions. I mean, uh, for sure. I've never heard of a coach not flying back with a team. I think that is, to me, that was the biggest transgression of all of these that affect football is him deciding not to fly back. I mean, to me, that's the simplest thing of all. You came as a team, you left as a team. And I think I, I mentioned it, like Devon Hamilton is from Ohio. Luke Farrell from Ohio. If one of those guys wanted to stay and see family because they had a couple of days off, would Urban have let them not fly back with the team to stay with their family? The answer's no. He would have told them they have to fly back, and if you want to go back to Ohio, you can go back to Ohio. Why is that okay for the head coach? That sets a bad precedent. I mean, when you go to Houston, Caleb on Chason's from Houston, and technically, I mean, does he, what if he wanted to stay overnight in Houston with his family after their game to start the year? Urban would have told him no. Absolutely not. So yeah. why you can't, as a head coach, do things that you're not going to allow your players to do, even if you have a couple of days off, even if your family's up there and this is your getaway from football. Hop a flight back, and then you – I mean, it's not like it's that complicated of a situation. Just fly right back, and then you meet them there. Done. And that eliminates one leg of this thing, and honestly the leg that probably affected the team the most – of this is just completely eliminated. Now, on the other side of that, a lot of the guys honestly probably weren't checking for Urban Meyer on the team flight back and probably had no idea that he wasn't on the team flight back until somebody else said, hey, did you know Coach Meyer didn't fly back with us? You know? So, I mean, it, it, there's two sides of that. Like, they probably weren't that worried about that either. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think if uh, if you're Urban, I mean, you kind of put the, the ball back in Trent's uh, Balky's court in that, in that case, but – I just think it was a bad, short-sighted decision to say, "Hey, I'm already in, I'm already here. Why don't I stay here?" You don't have that credibility built up with the team yet. You don't have the uh, the ammunition there in the chamber to to be able to um, you know to to do that yet. So I think that was a a terrible decision for Urban to begin with. 
um, to not go back with the team. And then everything that's transpired since then has just been one thing after the other. Do you think, you know, we've seen everything from Urban's going to quit after this game if they lose. He's not here for the season, um, after the season. What, where do you fall in this matter? Do you think Urban's, I, I, to me, I think Urban rides the season out. I don't think Shad Khan fires him at all. I think he's going to stay with Urban for quite some time. Maybe Urban walks away after the season, but I don't think, even if he, if the Titans wax the Jaguars this week, I, I still don't see Urban um, leaving at all or you know, being fired, anything like that. I think there is almost zero chance that Shad fires Urban at any point in the this for anything this season. I I don't see Shad Khan making that sort of decision. I don't believe there's a chance. If anything, the biggest risk to me is at what point does Urban say, "Okay, I don't know if this is for me and walk away." Um I you can see it in his body language and the expressions on him after each loss. He takes that stuff extremely personally. And I mean, he is a completely different person during the week when things are okay and then after those games after losses and obviously you want a coach to take losses personally just like you want to see a player kind of take the losses yeah, you personally. don't like to see you know i know a lot of people online get miffed when they see players smiling and hugging and changing jerseys right. after they've just lost a game right they want to see a little bit of that impact hey it's having an impact on fans why don't the guys who are losing those games have that same type of feeling on their face? Right. So Urban does take those losses personally. At what point does he decide, like, okay, maybe I did underestimate the NFL, and would an 0-17 season be enough to do that? I think that would be enough to do so. that to any yeah. coach, you know? I mean, oh, wow, maybe this wasn't for me. I'm a legend in college. I'm just going to walk away before this gets worse. I could see that situation. If the Titans go out there and, like, blow out the Jaguars and I don't I'm not even gonna like try and guess what's going on at Urban's house I mean between him and his wife I don't know that situation and I think that's completely their unrelated business, to yeah. that's their business but if things are bad there for chance could he consider like okay you know what I'll walk away now and fix my family and and focus on that sure it's a possibility I don't think he's going to be forced out I fundamentally don't believe that I've gotten the vibe from nobody that he's going to that he's going to do that how this season plays out Urban Meyer will dictate it and uh, if he decides to walk away at the end or at any point I mean I think just from his history that's something that you kind of have to be prepared for I think earlier this week we kind of talked about on what you do if he does do that I don't think Shad's going to fire him I fundamentally don't believe that. I know there are people out there that do, yeah, so but it, I'm not in of, that camp. There's a lot of buzz around that. Yeah. It seems to be more of a national standpoint. Um, people talking about Urban Meyer leaving, or leaving after the Titans game, being fired, whatever, walking away uh, before the completion of his contract. And I don't think it's that dire of a situation no, yet. No, it's not. He hasn't lost the locker room as, as deeply as a lot of people want to lead you to believe. Um, the players that I've talked to on and off the record um, – uh, while I mean Urban doesn't have the credibility of a Bill Belichick, I mean he was already coming in on it on, you know, holding on to a college football coach's resume, which doesn't really resonate in the NFL as well. So I mean he hasn't lost the locker room any more than he did a week ago. And the biggest thing with the locker room and with the fan base and everyone involved is that they are zero and four. Yep, At zero and five, do things get worse? Yes, they do. And each loss will continue to magnify that question mark of Is this for Urban? 
is this the team? Who is the problem in this situation? And for all parties involved, there will be growing frustration there. So can the biggest task for Urban is can he keep the team together if they continue to lose games? I think he brought in a lot of players that are, will do a good job of trying to lead that. But how much credibility does he lose with the locker room for each lost game? That is a tough question to ask, and the only people that can answer that are the players, and none of them are going to say that publicly. I, I, the only thing that, that the biggest worry is if Urban walks away, and nobody knows what Urban Meyer is thinking besides Urban Meyer, and we've seen that at Florida, we've seen that at Ohio State, and that's why there are so many people out there that just want to see Urban fail is because he rubs some people the wrong way throughout his time in college football. Yeah, you know, I think the the – the main storylines we've come away with this week and covering this this Urban Meyer angle have been, you know, I think there, there are four prevailing themes here. One, this is Urban's personal life. This should not be our business, um, which we'll get into in a second. Um, two, if the Jaguars are winning games, this would be not even close to uh, a storyline. Um, you know, go you know, cast your own first stone if you are, are convicting this man in the public forum. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is a Urban Meyer and Shelly Meyer matter yes. um, and not a Jaguars matter, not a media matter. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to – you're an employee of the Jaguars when you're out in public, so that's true. Right. Um, I think that is, uh, that is, that is definitely true um, no matter the case. Urban Meyer's at home with Shelly, that's fine. That's, that's something completely different. When you're out in a bar, um, it's come out that the woman he was dancing with the other night was 24 years old. USA Today has reported that. Um, that's, uh, that's pretty young. Urban Meyer's 57. Um, and I, I think – Anything NFL-wise, public image conscious. Shad Khan is public image conscious. Mm-hmm. It's a Jaguars issue when Urban Meyer is out doing that in public and not a uh, Urban Meyer, Shelly Meyer issue when he's a representative of the team. But I do agree that, as I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, if Jacksonville was 2-2 two and two at this point, would this be as big of a deal? It wouldn't. At all. It wouldn't. People would say, you know, oh, he was just out celebrating that exactly. Cincinnati win. I mean, I'll, I'll even go out and say if they beat Cincinnati, this, not just, a big this, story. this isn't a big story. People are like, oh, he was just celebrating Cincinnati, oh, oh, oh. and they make and everybody makes a joke out of it, and and it keeps pushing along. Yeah, so I think there've been there's so many different angles of this, and um, it's it's you know people are saying it's a private matter and stuff. It's it's definitely not a private matter when you're out in public, right? Um, in a, in Sporting an Ohio State jacket some, for some reason, not a Jaguars jacket. I have a problem with that, Urban, uh, more than anything. Um, but I think the biggest thing as we, we move on from Urban is the Jacksonville Jaguars are winless. They've looked clueless in a couple games. They're yes. getting better. Um, and your coach is out, and he's already got a target on his back. Um, and that's what happened last week. So I think if Urban Meyer can win some games, if he can win a game, that's going to start changing the narrative, and I think this will be a um, unless something else crazy incriminating comes out after, on on him, which I don't see happening. Um, I think this is going to be a, a blip on the the radar as long as they can win a football game starting on Sunday. Yeah, if they win Sunday against the Titans, uh, this is a, just a footnote on the year. I mean, we'll talk about this like we'll talk about Whirly Bird, and that'll be the yeah. end of it. You know, I mean, it, it's it'll just be something that was the topic of conversation for just one week. I guess with that, that's the natural transition to uh, football, to to the Titans game, which is a big one. The Titans are coming off a loss against the Jets. 
and you know they're going to be upset about that because nobody wants to lose a game, definitely not to the New York Jets. And they're coming here, and they happen to have a guy who's pretty familiar with the First Coast who is basically coming home. And I, I think I was talking with you earlier today, and I was showed you a clip from his press conference. He even wore his Yuli Hornets jersey during his press conference, yes. almost like a, a subtle reminder, like, He's coming home. I'm coming home. And he has made himself quite yes. at home here in Jacksonville at the bank. I mean, uh, I don't have to remind Jaguars fans of the 99-yard run where he basically stiff-armed everybody on the defense. <laughs> Uh, so, the, Joe Cullen and those guys have their work cut out for them this week. I mean, rule number one, stop Derrick Henry. Stop Derrick Henry. And I, I bring up this story. It's always one I get a kick out of. Um, back at my old job, we were honoring the, the 24 top 24 players in the area um, at uh, one of the final Jaguars home games of the season. Just happened Derrick's senior season at Uli ended a couple weeks before that. Uh, he was honored on the field before the game, and he was one of the last players to arrive at the thing. I'm waiting out front to meet Derek. He keeps texting me saying, hey, I'm on my way. I keep getting stopped in traffic. Um, I finally met Derek. We walked through the state, the, the kind of the bowels of the stadium. We're walking by. The Jaguar players are coming back through the tunnel up into the locker rooms, and they, multiple players, probably 10 or 15, stopped Derek Henry as a high school senior when he's in his Uli jersey, Hugging him, slapping him, followed your career. Professional athlete saying that to an 18-year-old kid. And Derek is just completely taken aback that these professional athletes are uh, so enamored with him and you know saying hi to him and followed his career. So it's just so funny that he's always had that magnetic of a presence, even as a 17- and 18-year-old kid. And he has come to rule TIAA Bankfield every time he's played there. And I think he's going to have another big game this week. And if he does, that's uh, that's on Joe Coleman because Tennessee's injury report looks like a page of uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. It is a long list. It's starting to look like uh, Julio Jones won't be playing this week and A.J. Brown likely will. Um, obviously, those are their two top wide receivers. But, I mean, without Julio, that at least gives you one guy you need to focus on. Last week, one of the things they tried to do was have uh, Shaq Griffin shadow Jamar Chase, which was something I mentioned in our four factors that we put on newsforjacks.com. But the Bengals adjusted and put Chase in the slot to avoid that shadow, and then they, they kind of went away from it. It seemed like uh, Shaq was a non-factor last week. He was well, not didn't. not at all, and they, I, they, we they, thought we would see him you know, probably on Jamar yeah, more they, that game. They put him on there a little bit, and then they put Chase in the slot to avoid that shadow. And uh, that's when they were able to kind of attack. The, the Bengals adjusted and saw the weak points in the defense and went from there. So we'll have to see what they do with Shaq Griffin. I'd like to see Shaq shadow A.J. Brown. If Brown plays and it's only one of those two threats, just let put Shaq him follow. Put him on there, and then let's put Tyson on the, on the lesser guy, and uh, let's play from there. Um, but obviously, rule number one, let's, uh, you got to stop Derrick Henry. I, I think Derrick has sent a message every time he comes back to, back to TIA Bankfield. I mean, hey, I'm at home. I'm from Yulee. This is, this is my backyard. You guys shouldn't have passed on me. Should have brought me here and been a Jaguar, but that's another conversation. But uh, Joe Cullen and those guys actually have a little bit of a beef with this Titans team, too. You know, uh, Josh Allen mentioned earlier this week that the the former Baltimore coaches, which there are a lot on that defensive staff, have a little bit of a rivalry with the Titans from their for, their past playoff matchups the past few years. So Allen said their rivalry has even trickled down some to the to the Jaguars players. So 
that even has intensified this thing. And there was already a, a, a nice little beef going on between the Titans and Jaguars, period. So now you bring in that Ravens blood. So uh, Joe Cullen said that, you know, he's really pushing to, to stop Derrick Henry this week. And Josh Allen said they can feel that energy. So obviously rule number one is they got to fill those gaps. It's going to take multiple guys. Do not let this guy get a running start. You can't. No. You know he's getting the ball. As many times as that offense calls on him, he's going to get the ball. He's going to run right at you. Ryan Tannehill, make Ryan Tannehill beat you yes. this game. And, you know, if Derrick Henry comes out and runs for 187 yards, you've got to just tear You're this playbook up because you know he is coming right at you. Ryan Tannehill, if Ryan Tannehill beat you, then so be it. The Titans Titan beat you. But, you know, Derrick Henry, I am flooding every gap I can. I am bringing cornerback blitzes to slow him down. Anything you can do to make life difficult on Derrick Henry. And as he goes, the Titans go. And if you can shut him down, that's how you win that game. And, again, if you lose to Ryan Tannehill, hats off to Tennessee. And if uh, if you lose to Derrick Henry, that's a significant reason for concern for Jacksonville. And, you know, it's so tough to stop him because he's so big, but he also has such great vision for a running back and the agility and speed to to hit those backside holes. So, I mean, it really takes all 11 guys, and everybody has to play their responsibility, which has been a problem for the Jaguars, specifically in the second half of games for the past two weeks. I mean, they've had leads against the Cardinals at halftime. They had a lead against Cincinnati at halftime. And then in the third, fourth quarter, the defense didn't show up. The offense didn't show up. They blew it, and they lost the game there at 0-4. So, I mean, they've really got to play disciplined football. And I've heard it from Shaq Griffin and Rayshon Jenkins for the past two weeks that everybody on this defense or everybody on the team just wants to make that play. And it almost feels like, you know, growing up, every every one of those guys were the guy that had to make that play. And Rayshon Jenkins said it today that, you know, you see those young mistakes – and key points of the game, and we can't do that. Everyone has to trust each other to do their job so that way we can come together and play as a unit. And that's what it takes against Derrick Henry because if you get that backside guy who jumps over into another gap that he's not responsible for trying to make a play on Henry, it could help. But if Henry sees that the backside's open, he's just going to cut it back. And if you end up with Derrick Henry one-on-one with a corner or a safety it typically doesn't that, end we've well. We've seen that before. The <laughs> you Derrick know? Henry stiff arm. And, yeah, uh, so it, 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 all 11 guys have to understand what their job is and just be willing to do their job. And that seems to be almost a recurring thing. You've, you've brought this up on several podcasts. You've mm-hmm. asked different players the same thing. They've brought it up unprovoked. So you know that, that's a theme in this yes. locker room. You've got players who are maybe trying to do a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and this has been a question that's been repeated, that's been asked several times this season, and that's got to translate into something. That's got to mean these veterans are seeing these younger guys. Maybe you know everybody wants to hit the home run that wins the baseball game. Everybody wants to hit the shot to uh, to win a game seven in the NBA. So everybody wants to do that, but not everybody can. Not everybody's meant to do that no. in uh, in the football realm. So fill the gaps, take those Derrick Henry runs away, um, shut him down, and let Ryan Tannehill beat you. The, the, the one thing, and I, we mentioned it earlier this week, that this kind of felt like a must-win game, but I've, uh, the more I kind of think about it, especially with the way the Titans play ball, Joe Cullen said that you know the Titans are, are play bully ball. They want to be the bully out there. They show you where they're going to run, and they run there. And 
this almost feels like a must win for because it could just demoralize this team if the Titans show you where they want to run, you line up and they just hit you in the mouth. And they're gonna punch you in the mouth all game. So this could be one that really like the straw that breaks the camel's back. I mean, you're 0-4, but if the Titans come in here and are just able to do whatever they want to do, I mean, you want to talk about something that could just demoralize a team, fall into 0-5 and doing it in an ugly way against a team that wants to come in here and just dominate you, that could be something that, that could be a moment. And that's, you know, you've heard it years after years after years, NFL coaches, different eras, nothing like running the ball straight out of defense – to break the spirit of an opposing defense, yeah. and that's exactly what it does. This isn't a, a pass, you know, a pass situation where you beat a corner in a one-on-one matchup. No, this is running at the heart of a defense where your biggest and strongest and fast and, and most uh, lethal guys on that defensive front are, and you're running right at them. And Derrick Henry has done that time and again, and that is a spirit-breaking way to win a football game. And for a team that's already facing crunch time. I mean, can you imagine Derrick Henry coming out and, and running for uh, a buck eighty and two touchdowns in this game, and um, you know Ryan Tannehill throwing ten passes? I that would feel like uh, the perfect storm and the, the wave crashing right on top of this franchise. That's exactly what it would feel like. All right, switching gears, let's 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 flip the script here and go to the offense. Uh, last week, Trevor Lawrence. First game with no turnovers. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's bad that that was the fourth week of the season, but, you know, it's a good thing because it's a step forward for Trevor. Uh, we saw him throw some passes away, which are things that led to interceptions in the earlier weeks because he was trying to force balls even when they weren't there. Uh, but We saw him run, too. We did see him and run. We saw him using his legs, which is another asset. I mean, when it's not there, you know, pick up two, three yards. And, and he has down. shown that he can get out of the pocket. He's fast. He's learning to get down, not taking those big hits. And that really has almost taken the, un- the the wraps off of him a little bit more and letting that part of his offense shine through. He did it very well at Clemson. Uh, you know, I think in the early going, they were they were trying to do too much with him in the pocket and, and spraying the ball everywhere, trying to make too many bad throws, big plays, bad throws. Um, so you're starting to see that poise of Trevor. No more was that apparent than last week's game against the Big Bowls. That's why it was so disheartening to lose the game the way they did because Trevor played, even though he didn't have a touchdown pass, ran for a touchdown. He gave the ball to James Robinson, which needed to happen, and he played a very good game and such a disappointing way to lose it because you saw, I think, the true Trevor last week more than those other three games. Yeah, and last week and a little bit against the Cardinals, you saw him using his legs to really like just extend the play, get outside the pocket, still keeping his eyes downfield and make throws. But one of the things that I really want to see this offense take a step forward with is those receivers in that scramble drill. I mean, there were a couple of plays against the Bengals, specifically the last Jaguars drive. On that third down play, Trevor is rolling to his right. He spins out, reverses field, and going to his left. And, I mean, it's a scramble drill at that point. All the receivers should be looking at their quarterback, switching direction, just finding a way to get open and come back to give Trevor an outlet. Those guys were just running like it. I mean, none of them put in a heavy effort to try and give him anything some of them switched their switched gears but they were kind of lightly jogging just trying to find space I need to see those receivers like they've practiced this and and really working and trying to find open space I mean scramble drill should be some of those guys favorite time I mean that's yeah, like backyard football just go get open they can't get open on normal routes I mean so come that on should be their first day uh, the freelancing way see if you can get open that way and 
and uh, create some separation between a defensive back. Especially when it's crunch not, time. Not played well. Get out and make a play. Yeah, you know, so we'll, we'll see how it works. I mean, it's a, it's definitely going to be a blow to that offense to, to have to play without DJ Chark. But the Titans' defense has been struggling this year. On paper, they look really good. But on the football field, they have not looked as good. So that should give them some opportunities. The question is, who is going to step up in DJ Chark's void? And that's going to be a tough one to answer. I mean, Marvin Jones has done about as much as you can ask from a guy so far this year. Yeah, and we thought so almost so much more of him in the preseason. He started so good, and it just hasn't, for whatever reason, whether um, you know his routes haven't been great, he hasn't got help um, from his other receivers, um, running better routes too. The receiving after so much promise in that preseason, I've just been disappointed overall by these receivers. And, you know, they kept bringing in receivers in this offseason. I mean, that Laquan Treadwell, I mean, it seemed like every transaction in that offseason was bringing in somebody at wideout. Tyron Johnson, you thought, man, get him in this offense. And he's not been really visible at all. Uh, just been a disappointing position. Um, that's probably been, for me, the most disappointing position um, from those skill guys this year have been those receivers. So I want to see some bigger performances from Marvin Jones now that he's unquestionably the number one guy with DJ gone. Um, you know, does LaVisca continue to build off last game? And, you know, is Tavon Austin, what is he about? So we're going to see that this week. I think this is opening the door for us to at least find out if LaVisca Chenault can be a wide receiver. Uh, with Chark, when Chark went down, they put Tavon Austin in and kept Lavishka in the slot. And the depth chart that they released this week still has Tavon starting outside with Chenault in the slot. But during walkthroughs at practice, they have Lavishka taking Chark's spot with Austin lining up in the slot, which actually makes sense because Tavon Austin is a slot receiver. He's always played slot in the NFL. So this should be our opportunity to see if Lavishka can blossom. Earlier this week, Urban Meyer talked about how they wanted to make sure that Lavishka got a certain amount of touches per game because he's just that kind of player. And one of the things that I've really been frustrated by with the role that they've put LaVishka in for the past two years is all of these gadget plays, catching short passes, and I just feel like at his size, get him down the field, let him make the catch like we saw him do against the Bengals, use his size to box out receivers, and if he can catch the ball – Make those receivers work because, I mean, LaVishka's the size of a running back. Either this guy's going to tackle him or he's going to have to make a business decision because LaVishka is not a soft runner. So, I mean, I'd really like to see him get him down the field on a post, one-on-one -on -one with a safety, and see what happens. Yeah, let's let's I, let him do it. How he played last game, I mean, that had been one of his best two or three games of his Jaguars career. I thought, you know, the, the chemistry with Lawrence there, he had a big catch, 52-yard reception. Um, just a good all-around game as Jacksonville had to kind of go to him um, in the absence of DJ Chark. So will they build off that? Will he, you know, even take some pressure off Marvin Jones? I mean, LaVisca's been that gadget guy. When you drafted him, you didn't really know how he was going to be used. Is he going to be a, a Percy Harvin type? Is he going to be in the backfield? And I, I think they've not really, through two coaching staffs, have not really known how to use LaVisca. And this could be that perfect opportunity where, hey, there's a hole at wide out. We don't have anything else other than James Robinson. Um, but let's ride James. Let's make LaVisca his true position at receiver and see if he can be that DJ Shark uh, replacement. And I think he can. I mean, building off of last week, great game against the Bengals. And let's, I'm, I'm interested to see if he can add some, you know, infuse some life into that receiver room. Been very disappointing so far. He has the most physical talent of any receiver in that room. I mean, 
plain and simple. If if he can show up and be that guy, I mean, he he could be a true number one in the NFL. Now, the guy that Tavon Austin is likely going to fill LaVishka's old role catching some of those short passes, which, I mean, if you've ever seen his highlight tapes, whenever they talk about the most electric players in college football history, Tavon Austin is always in that conversation. He's never truly been that player in the NFL, but he also said that he never felt like, at least over the past few years of his career, coaching staffs were trying to put him in a position to succeed. So he said that he feels like Daryl Bevel and this Jaguars coaching staff is trying to put him in a position where he can impact the game and be who he is. So we'll have to see just how that kind of works out. But the guy that I'd really like to see and get more involved in the offense is Jamal Agnew, especially if this opens up some of those short passes and those screen passes that we've seen go to Chenault in the past. And that catch he had on the sideline, man, one of the best throws and catches by Lawrence and any receiver this mm-hmm. season. The toe tap he had, just amazing. And, again, he's a guy that you've talked about and um, you know done packages on in the, the preseason how he was just a man without a position for quite some time, and we've seen what he can do running the ball. But, man, he has shown some promise catching the ball too. He's been making plays like that since training camp. I mean, plain and simple, on the practice field, he was making plays like that, and so it didn't surprise me when he did that. Um, The only thing that I saw from him in training camp was that he still had some stuff to learn about playing wide receiver. At times, I mean, he misjudged a deep ball or two. But, I mean, it wasn't anything glaring. And he even said it, you know, he's only played wide receiver for like two years. So he's still learning the position, learning some of his routes. But his sheer speed, change of direction, and honestly his ability to read blocks and make guys miss is perfect. And it's a big play waiting to happen. It's something the Jaguars need. I understand that they want to be careful with him because they don't want to jeopardize his ability as a returner. But he could be a spark on this offense, specifically just using him in the role where we've seen them use LaVishka Chenault, yep. those short routes. Run him on a screen. What's the difference between a screen pass to the wide receiver and a kickoff return? It's not that big of a difference. I mean, you're talking about getting receivers out in front of the guy, read the blocks, go. Find a crease and get upfield. So, I mean, who else on the Jaguars offense do defensive coordinators really worry about? There's nobody that's a big play waiting to happen. This is a, this is a recurring conversation. I mean, I think it is. It's, there's nobody there that you're afraid of at all. It's not. Jamal and Agnew's running kicks back. That's about the only person that you're uh, afraid of. That's about it. Like, James Robinson, great running back. Get 25 the ball, but he's not breaking 50-yard runs. No. Like, you're not worried about that. He's a 10-yard, 10-yard, 15 there, 20 there. I mean, he's not just going to outrun everybody and be gone. He's not that guy. Uh, Marvin Jones is not like some deep threat where if you, you're worried about this, having the safety over the top. Uh, LaVishka Chenault is a, is a fast guy and a big receiver, but they've never used him in that aspect where you have to worry about him – just catching a pass and, and being gone. So there's nobody on this offense where defensive coordinators are like, oh, man, if I don't have the safety over the top here, uh, this could be a big play. There's nobody on the offense where you feel like if, if a DB isn't respecting this guy's speed, it's an instant big play. Outside of maybe Jamal Agnew, they supposedly Tyron Johnson could be that guy, but We've not seen we, that. Have, we haven't seen that. He hasn't gotten enough reps on the field to even impact a game like that. So – why not? I mean, uh, to me, I understand why they want to keep him on special teams. And special teams, yes, it is important. But, but, offense and defense are more important than special teams. I'm just going to say it. Because, you know, a touchdown counts either way, but he only gets the chance to kick off return if the other team scores or at the beginning of a half or beginning of a game. Like, 
if moving the ball down the field, controlling the clock, getting Trevor Lawrence an outlet, and if that opens up the box for James Robinson, if that opens up the field for other guys to make a play, I think that's a little bit more valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I just don't understand it, and maybe they're just worried the guy's going to get hurt. But I feel like if you go ask Agnew, like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" He's going to say, "Yeah, absolutely." So. Players want the ball, and we've seen him produce. And maybe that Cincinnati game where he was put in a position to make a, a great catch, like he did. Um, opens up some doors to get him three or four looks a game on offense. Well, we can only hope so. I mean, they, they've got to get him the ball, and the other guy kind of touched on it. They've got to get James Robinson the ball a little bit more. Um, we've seen them kind of start to feed him a little bit. They've remembered that he's actually a pretty good player. He got going in the Cincinnati game. The only play that was the problem was, like, they didn't opt to get him the ball on the goal line there, which to me is a little bit of a problem because – Especially, like, when I heard Joe Cullen call the Titans, like, bully ball. Like, you're on the one-yard line. Your offensive coordinator needs to have confidence to play bully ball. Tell them where the ball's going. It's going right here. Stop me. Like, because if you pull off that play, how good does your team feel rolling into the halftime? As opposed to if you lose it and don't get it, then you're still in the same position that you were in anyway. But give the ball to your guy on the one-yard line. Let him play. I'm and playing. that's where the that's where it was supposed to go originally. And that would have been his third touchdown of the game. I'd imagine James Robinson with three rushing touchdowns in a game when your offense has been just lacking that big play rushing attack, what that could have done for that uh, that offense and James in particular. But instead, they run it with Trevor. We know what happens. He stopped. Um, but on the positive side, they commit to the run early on in that game. Um, James Robinson does exist. We saw that in the Bengals game. <laughs> Um, good to see that after you know some question marks uh, most of the season with James Robinson. They and, just forgot yeah, what number forgot he was. Forgot about him, and I mean five carries week one, unbelievable. So hopefully that leads to greater things for James Robinson going forward. Be nice to match them, uh, Derrick Henry versus James Robinson this week, and and see a big game from J. Rob and uh, Trevor supplement that. No touchdown passes for Trevor last game. He let James kind of lead the way. I'd like to see that again. I, I think we're going to see a low scoring game. This Sunday. Hey, but don't forget the Jaguars' offense finally seems to have an impact tight end. I mean, Dan, Dan Arnold, Arnold. Welcome to town. Yeah, welcome to town. You talk about a guy who got traded early in the week on a short week. He played back-to-back Thursday night games. He actually played Thursday night the week before with Carolina. Gets here. He spends, like, all week trying to learn the game plan. Learns it and goes out there, has a pretty good game. I mean, he's out there for the majority of the offensive snaps, makes some catches, and looked good. So now with a, a full week of practice under his belt, obviously it was an interesting week, but a full week of practice under his belt, actually getting a little bit more time to get to know the playbook, get to know his responsibility, know his teammates, even his quarterback. Um, just how impactful could Dan Arnold be for this offense? It could be a, a little bit of a turning of the tides. I know they wanted to have James O'Shaughnessy involved, but obviously he went down early and then there was nobody behind him. So uh, Dan Arnold could be another guy that helps to open things up a bit on this offense. And the speed, too, from Dan Arnold. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, to me, that was one of the first things I noticed when he uh, made the catch was that ability to really kind of turn it on yeah. down the field. Former so, wide receiver. Yeah, so that was a very, very nice surprise. Again, the tight end position, we beat that drum all year, all offseason, about how bad that position was. So, yeah, you gave C.J. Henderson away, basically, for uh, for Darren, Darren Arnold, Dan Arnold, a guy you could have gotten uh, in free agency. But um, nonetheless, I think Dan Arnold's uh, career in Jacksonville, 
He'll be the most popular tight end not named Mercedes Lewis if uh, he continues his play up. Well, there's a lot of people upset about the number he has, but we won't dive too far into that. But, uh, you know, actually, you brought up C.J. Henderson, um, and I know a lot of people were upset about the trade, and we did an immediate reaction and everything. But I think he didn't have a good game for Carolina. Let's you know, Just to tap on that, he, he gave up a touchdown. They're, they got diced up by the, the – the Cowboys' passing game, and then the Panthers now make a move to trade for Stephon Gilmore. So maybe they're not that enamored with C.J. Henderson either, yeah, which might have the Jaguars walking out of this smelling like roses. No, it's still they still <laughs> smell like uh, the Sunday trash yeah, <laughs> after a long party the night before. Yeah, it's still a terrible, terrible draft pick C.J. Henderson yeah. was. You give up on him 10 games into his career. Um, the ninth overall pick in the draft. Those top two corners last year, Jeff Okuda, yeah, has turned years. out to be a terrible pick. And CJ at number nine, we all know what happened with him. So the top two corners in the draft last year, not good. No, not, not good. good. Not good at all. But uh, we'll see just how he, he turns out. And we'll be keeping a close eye on that Carolina secondary to see if uh, he does turn into a player or if it turns out that uh, Urban Meyer and Trent Bulky were able to get return on a bad Dave Caldwell pick. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But back to the Titans. Uh, obviously, if the this game is an important one. The Jaguars have not won one, but the AFC South is still wide open. Terrible. A lot of bad football being played in the AFC South. So a win Sunday puts them right back in the thick of this race. Um, uh, outside of uh, just looking at our game, do you think that a, a, a below 500 team – might be able to take home the AFC South crown this year? Yeah, maybe so. I uh, mean, the Texans have already beat the Jaguars. The Jaguars are winless. Um, I mean, may as well put the Jets in there for this year, for God's sake, how bad <laughs> the AFC South is. Yeah, the Colts have one win. The Titans have won a, a couple of games. But they, they're not far back. No, not a, it's, a, it's a cluster, and you've got to hope Jacksonville – that's why this game is so big. I mean, we've talked about the impact of, of what it has with Urban Meyer, but, I mean, you can't start out 0-5 – Two divisional losses right right off the bat with the Texans and the Titans. You've got to win this game, especially in such a bad year. Yes. In such a bad year, in a, in a year that you're not expected to do much. But, hey, the way the division is shaping up. With so much parity around this division, eight wins, an eight and nine season might be enough to be the AFC South champion and get into the playoffs. That's unbelievable. That, that, that is insane. So, I mean – that would give the Jaguars, what, five more losses that they could have? So, I mean, that, that would put them in really good shape with some winnable games down the stretch. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a crucial game, and it can't be undersold. Uh, if they can do one thing right besides stop Derrick Henry, what do they have to do to win Sunday? Oh, I think another no-turnover game is what has to happen. I mean, they played so well last week without giving the ball away, and they still lost, but they were close. Um, but I think if you keep holding on to that ball, Trevor plays another game. I'd take another game like Trevor had last week, uh, this week. No turnovers, um, you know, pedestrian passing game. But, again, no turnovers. You hand the ball off. You keep holding on to the ball. And you look at some of the games, I mean, the, the pick six against uh, the Cardinals, that's how big is that play if Trevor just throws that away. Um, so you, you just – I think if you play turnover-free ball – um, that's the biggest thing to me this week. Oh, definitely, because the Jaguars are still last place in the NFL for turnover differentials, so there's a lot of work to be done in creating turnovers and not creating and not giving away the football for this team, but that would be a, a step in the right direction to continue to 
uptick that. I'm going to flip that to the other direction with the defense and say creating turnovers because uh, specifically creating turnovers from Ryan Tannenhill. Derrick Henry doesn't typically put the ball on the ground too much, but Tannenhill ha- can be a little lax with it. And you can make him fumble if you can get home. And we saw that that's how they lost to the Cardinals week one. Chandler Jones took over. This offensive line for the Titans has not been a great pass-blocking unit throughout the season. I think they've given up like 16 sacks already this year. The Jaguars have put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks but have not gotten a lot of sacks this season. This is the week they need to change that. We need a couple of strip sacks in there to really give the opportunity for the offense to start the fe- start with a short field and put some easy points on the board. I'd like to see Josh Allen, Dewan Smoot really get home and uh, make Ryan Tannehill a little wary when he has to drop back and throw the ball. If they were playing another Joe Burrow, I'd be more worried about that defense, how he picked them apart. No. Ryan Tannehill's not a Joe Burrow, the no. crisp, fast passes. I don't see him, I mean, especially if he's not got his top two wideouts in this game, I don't see him lighting it up, and that's why I think it's so important to stop Derrick Henry because I don't think Ryan Tannehill has the talent around him to beat the Jaguars like uh, Joe Burrow did last week. He's no. not going to have those big uh, big wideouts, probably, according to the injury report. Um, so stop Derrick Henry, make Ryan Tannehill beat you, and I just don't think he can do it. If Jacksonville can play another turnover-free game, have another step in Trevor Lawrence's growth. I think they can win this game. I don't know if I'll pick them. I don't know if I'll pick them, but uh, I'm going I'm to have to decide that in the next few seconds. But yeah, they, if, if they can do those things, um, I think their defense can. Uh, their defense is not going to have their hands as full with Tennessee as they would, did with Cincy. Yeah, T- Tannenhill definitely thrives off that play-action pass. So it would help if the Jaguars can jump out to a decent lead early to try and force the Titans' hand a little bit to go away from the run as much and and make Ryan Tannenhill uh, draw back and throw the ball. If if Ryan Tannenhill has to throw the ball 30 times, I think the Jaguars' chances of winning are pretty good. Um, so, all right, we've gotten to that point. We're going to start wrapping things up, but we've got to do it before we leave. Jaguars or Titans, who's going to win this week? Is this the week that Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence get that first win? I'm going to say... And I'm going out on a limb here and picking the Jags for the second time this season. I think they win 23-17. 23-17. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm going to side with you there, and um, I'm going to pick the Jaguars here. I think um, the players are going to go out with something to prove that they're not worried about this. I think the coaching staff is going to try and put together the best game plan they have. We've seen consistent improvement from this team um, in, a, in a home game against a guy that has made himself very at home. Uh, there's some bad blood between enough of the coaches and enough of the players that I'm hoping they will be able to keep Derrick Henry under wraps and that Trevor Lawrence is going to go out and have a good game. So I'm going to go with uh, 27-20. Jaguars edge the Titans at the end of this one, uh, get their first win 1-4 and four on the year. Uh, we'll have to review this next week and see just how well our picks panned out uh, if the Jaguars are actually having a winning Monday. So uh, thanks again for tuning in to another News for Jags podcast. As always, I'm Jamal St. Cyr. This is Justin Barney, and we will be back next week.